You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you for, I was going to say beautiful day. Some think it is, um, but uh, thank you that we got up this morning and you've given us another opportunity to walk with you and to uh, to be with you and to demonstrate Jesus to others. So whether we like the cold or whatever, thank you for that opportunity. Thank you again for Bobby being here with us and his walk with you and his testimony for you. And may that be a continual encouragement uh, to these men as they hear testimony of what it means to be Christ in the marketplace in different ways. Thank you again for the day. Uh, In many ways, open your word up to us throughout this day so that uh, we may gain more wisdom and walk with you. Thank you again for your love and your grace and your mercy, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks again for being here. Um, So I haven't seen you in a while, and Jay Mayo will be back with you next week to finish out his series on prayer, and then I'll pick up after that, and we'll pick up in the book of Hebrews again. Uh, So, But today, just have a special guest. I'll tell you a little bit about him here in just a minute and let him get busy talking to you. But I wanted to come back. I haven't seen you in a while. I wanted to recommend a couple of books to you if you uh, want to keep building your library. Some of you know who Andy Stanley is. He's a really small church in Atlanta that he pastors. And um, he just put out a book called How to Be Rich. How to Be Rich. I would highly recommend this book uh, to you. That you, uh, it's not a get rich book. In fact, the subtitle is It's Not What You Have, It's What You Do with What You Have. And so I would highly encourage you to pick up a copy of this book, How to Be Rich. I think the last time I was with you, I may have recommended this book by John Maxwell called The Five Levels of Leadership. Five Levels of Leadership. It's a great book. Hopefully, you'll pick that up and read it. And then another new book just out by Maxwell called Sometimes You Win. Sometimes you learn. Life's greatest lessons are gained from our losses. So another great book if you're looking for ways to build your library or if you want to give gifts that matter uh, to your kids, giving them books, making sure they read, and uh, just keep building that library. I had the privilege of uh, meeting Bobby because of the work we, we do and continue to do with First Baptist Church San Francisco. You know, we, we shipped Mike off that direction and uh, to see how high a rent he could pay, and uh, he found it there in San Francisco. But got to meet Bobby, and uh, then you know was, was introduced to him as a guy that worked with the San Francisco Giants, and then got to know him a little bit better through spring training. And one of the things that just overwhelmed me was watching a guy with probably the most humble demeanor, the most humble attitude around such power and such influence but all the while continuing to just lift up the name of Jesus and see as his calling in life, walking with Jesus and demonstrating Jesus to all the people that he's around. And, uh, you know, Bobby's not on the speaking circuit. He doesn't uh, go around the country and and do this. I've just asked him to come be with us and to share with us what it's like for him to uh, be where he is in the environment that he's in, but also walking with Jesus and his passion with the church. Every time I'm with him, we went to dinner last night, it never fails. He wears that little bitty ring from uh, some World Series game, and somebody walks up. It's inevitable that it's happened when I'm with him. I'm sure he gets tired of it. And the waitress did it last night. She's like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't do this, but what is that ring? And uh, and here's the humility. I, well, you'd probably do it too if you had that big honking thing on your finger, but he just takes it off and hands it to her. And uh, she's got it on her finger and just wigging out. And um, But uh, at the same time, 
The great thing is, is while she's walking around the table doing her business, he's boldly talking about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, around us and what the Lord's doing and what he continues to do. And so without any uh, other stuff from me, and I've told Bobby if he wants to take questions, he can at the end. Otherwise, he knows at 7.15 you guys will start leaving. So anyways, without any further ado, uh, would you welcome Bobby Evans from the San Francisco Giants. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I uh, have enjoyed getting to know Patrick uh, and appreciate his enthusiasm for baseball. I uh, grew up with a mom and dad who uh, went to a Washington Senators game on their honeymoon. It was a, actually a, dub, a double header. Uh, so I, I feel like I got uh, the baseball blood in me, uh, uh, at least through them. Uh, I uh, grew up in a small town in North Carolina, a town of 700. They recently uh, added a stoplight, and uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, they have one ATM machine. Uh, when, I was, when I was nine years old, we re- relocated there from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And, and for me at nine years old, I, I kind of felt like I had left behind uh, Steve Grogan and Carl Yastrzemski and uh, Larry Bird and Bobby Orr and all these great Boston athletes. So I was kind of, you know, not too appreciative of of uh, North Carolina. Uh, it took me a while to appreciate. Uh, I think my um, sophomore year of high school, my grandmother pulled me aside and and told me that you know these are your roots. You know, North Carolina is where you know your family has been from for more than one generation, and you know you should appreciate where you're from, and I began to look at North Carolina differently and uh, began to appreciate the people who were in my life, and it, and it really just uh, turned me 180 degrees, and I uh, appreciate now being a Tar Heel, even though I will also say I'm from New England. Uh, but I, I, I've been with the Giants for 20 years. My, my role is the, is the uh, assistant general manager, which means I, I'm in charge of player acquisitions and player contract negotiations uh, and involved uh, leading the uh, discussions in all of our, pr- our, our player trade discussions at the trade deadline and helping put together our roster for the uh, upcoming season. Uh, my boss is our general manager. He's the longest tenured uh, general manager in baseball uh, going back to 1996. Uh, every major league team has changed their general manager once uh, since he took over in 96. So it's kind of cool to be with such a good baseball man. Uh, I've learned a lot from him, and we have a good uh, group of guys that we're, you know, we're making decisions on uh, player acquisitions from looking at the latest sabermetrics to looking at, uh, you know, video and the latest technology that's out there in the way of hit FX and pitch FX and a number of different technologies that give us insights into who the better better players are, uh, we, uh, you know, humbly have uh, been successful, successful in winning uh, two of the last four World Series. Uh, Giants had gone so long and, and really forever, it seemed, to, have, to not winning. In fact, they had never won since they moved to San Francisco in 1958. So we uh, won a few years ago and now again in 2012. Uh, most recently this offseason, you know, we we uh, were able to retain uh, Tim Linscombe, who has become a fan favorite. Uh, has had a downside in his career, and 
but yet we look at him as a big part of our rotation. We added Tim Hudson uh, from the Atlanta Braves, who we would have never had a chance of acquiring Tim Hudson um, had he been 100% healthy at the end of the season because his market would have been much stronger. Uh, but fortunately, uh, he was willing to come to us um, uh, on the West Coast. And so we're excited. We're getting ready for spring training. We'll be heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. I, I think we have a great city uh, to play in every, you know, during the season in San Francisco. But then being able to spring train in Scottsdale, Arizona is no, no problem either. It's a, it's a great place to be. And uh, we will be down there in a couple of weeks uh, starting our spring, spring training. It's, it's a little bit of a tough time for me because, you know, I get very involved in our church. And I get also, obviously, with a, I have a young family. I have a nine-year-old boy and a, a soon-to-be six-year-old little girl. And we have an extra inning baby coming uh, here in... Um, coming in March, and uh, so it's hard to be away. I, I, I call it my 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, um, and on occasion, I'll try to slip away, you know, you know, maybe one night after a day game, and then try to get back, you know, the next day for our workouts, uh, but it's, spring training's good. I don't know how much you've spent in Florida or, or Arizona for spring training, but it's a great time of year, and certainly one of my favorite times of year, uh, but we, uh, we're expected to go out and you know, compete for our division. We've got a, a team down in Los Angeles that's spending, you know, tons more money than we are. So we feel like we've got an uphill climb even before the season starts. Uh, we, I don't know if you've read or followed the, the signing of the pitcher uh, Tanaka from Japan, but uh, he was a highly sought-after international signing that for us, although I grew up a Red Sox fan, I can't be thankful that he went to the Yankees, but I am thankful he's not in the NL West. Uh, playing for the Dodgers this year, uh, but uh, we uh, we have about a hundred and forty million dollar uh, major league team payroll, and we're accountable for every every dollar. I mean, and ownership doesn't doesn't round up, you know. Although we we try to help them round up a little bit here and there to make that one extra acquisition that'll help our team. Uh, but uh, baseball is a passion of mine. It was. As I said, growing up in North Carolina, uh, but uh, my vision uh, in, for baseball was that I would play um, professionally. Um, I, came to, uh, I came to Christ at a young age. I came to Christ at a small church in Sudbury, Massachusetts, uh, and uh, began growing in my relationship with the Lord there. There was one of the most impactful things, although I had already given my life to Christ, one of the most impactful things was one of the New England Patriots players uh, came to our church, and uh, our church, probably if it was fully packed in Sudbury, would be about, you know, this many people. But that Sunday, it was the first time, so it was a Sunday night service, it was the first time I'd ever seen our church packed with people, and I was impressed upon the fact that this New England Patriots player being there and sharing a little bit about his life in Christ that that would bring even my neighbor down the street, and it would bring people that I'd never seen in church before, and it would fill our congregation. And believing and, and, and wanting to, uh, to live a life for Christ, even at a young age, um, but I wanted to be in baseball, I, I, I told God shortly thereafter, kind of visioning, you know, you know, John Hanna in our church, I said, God, if you will put me in the big leagues, I will dedicate my career to you. And so that was my heart. That was my prayer. And as I went off to college, I tried to walk on. 
uh, at the University of North Carolina. And within, within a couple of weeks, I had been cut and didn't make the team. And I uh, was, was not going to give up on my dream just because one coach at one time didn't think I was a fit for his club. But I did ask him if I could stick around, and I, I became a manager on the team and washed uniforms and vacuumed the floor and uh, watered down the batting cage and tried to stay active in the game. I went away that summer to work in Florida and, and tried out and made a, a, the Daytona Beach Dodger uh, Central Florida Baseball League summer team and played, and, and I, was just, I was just hungry to play. And so I, I went back to college and told the coach, unless – I'm going to be on the team. I'm going to, I'm going to play club baseball because I'm going to play. So I ended up playing club baseball. And, and then the next summer, I got an internship uh, with the Boston Red Sox. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was so excited to be uh, spending the summer with the Boston Red Sox. That I was afraid that it wasn't going to happen. I, uh, I, was, I, I, would look, I looked both ways multiple times before I crossed any street. I... I, I, I just was afraid something was going to happen that was going to prevent uh, this from, from really going down. And I uh, had a great summer. It was uh, uh, an opportunity of a lifetime. I, I basically just lived a kid's dream and saw uh, uh, you know, games from inside the Green Monster. I, I worked. Uh, I, they let me take a road trip with the team, and i sitting on a bus with Jim Rice and Dwight Evans and Carl Yastrzemski, and I'm just, I feel like I'm living a dream of all dreams. And, and then as I, as I went back to college, I, I realized that uh, at some point I would need to make a decision about a career, and, and I prayed and ultimately uh, ended up with a, a job after I graduated in the baseball commissioner's office in New York. And I was there for two and a half years, and enjoyed it. It was uh, at the time, Faye Vincent was the commissioner, and uh, and and then in between during my time there, uh, Bud Selig became the interim commissioner. And of course, he's planning to retire now after 20 plus years as commissioner. Uh, but uh, the uh, uh, USA Today um, had a little note one day that the assistant director of player development for the Giants had resigned, and so I sent in a resume and. Brian Sabian interviewed me at the baseball winter meetings in Atlanta, and, and uh, 20 years ago in a week, I moved to San Francisco and started uh, uh, what has now been, like I said, 20 years in San Francisco working in the baseball department. And, and I, I, was, I was very active in a small church plant in New York City when I was working in the commissioner's office. So when I came to San Francisco, I was a little bit hungry for a larger church setting, just because that small church plant of 25 and 30 people was hard. I mean, you, you, you set up the chairs, you made the bulletin, you counted the money, you taught Sunday school, and you led the business meetings. I mean, there's just a lot, you know, in a small church. And so I was excited to be a part of a, small, a larger church and found First Baptist San Francisco. And, and maybe a year into my being there, I, I went to a missions conference and you know, at this missions conference, they were, they were sharing about the importance of, of, of going into all the world and, and sharing the gospel. And, and as, I, as I listened and I prayed, I, I realized that, you know, God, I, and I prayed, I said, God, I, I can't do that. I can't go into all the world 
and work in baseball. So I began planning my life without baseball because I, was gonna, I wanted to be obedient to God's word. And so I told God, um, and it was hard. I, I, at, that pre, at that missions conference, God, I, I will give up baseball. Where do you need me to be? And as I, as I prayed, God impressed upon me that I'd made a promise when I was a little boy that if he would put me in the big leagues, I would dedicate my career to him. At that moment, I realized I should have been more specific. Um, but, but yet I was in the big leagues. I wasn't behind the plate, and I was behind the desk or behind the batting cage. I wasn't in the batting cage. And God sort of reminded me that the world was kind of coming to me. The, the fact is that that spring we were having, you know, a, a, the first time ever we were having a player come from Japan. We, we had, you know, 20-something players coming from the Dominican Republic and Panama and Venezuela. And that the world was coming to me and that he wanted me to live out that commitment and that promise. So I began praying, you know, God, how do I do this? You know, this is a very hard environment, probably very much like where you work. I mean, it's, it's, there's no easy way to share the gospel where you work. I, I, you know, let's just be honest. I mean, you know, we all have a heart, you know, for others. But when you're at work, I mean, my head's down and I'm focused and I'm going to, I've got to make the next contract or, or evaluate that next player. Uh, it's hard. So... I go to spring training, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying through this, and there's a, there's a buddy of ours at church that's been really encouraging us to give out Bibles, and he's actually got us, you know, on the streets of San Francisco at times handing out Bibles with our young, young adult group. And so I asked him, I said, do you have any way to get Spanish Bibles? And he's got the, he's got the energy of Patrick, and his, he immediately was like, yes, and, and before I even got to spring training, there was a box waiting for me with these Spanish Bibles. Well, at the time, it seemed like a good idea, but now that I've got the Bibles, it was a hard task to figure out how am I going to get those Bibles into the hands of these players because, you know, it's just, it's just not an easy, easy task. And, and so I, I decided to go to one of the Major League veteran players and, and ask his advice. He was a believer, and uh, I just said, you know, I, I've got these Bibles. I want to give them to the, some of the Latin players. Uh, and wanted to get your idea on how I could do that. And he said, Bobby, you, you can't do that. You're, you work in the front office. You, you have a responsibility um, and the expectations, and players are not all that kind when they, they find something that they can tease you about. And if you start handing out those Bibles, you're going to get the best ribbing you've gotten. And, uh, and I've seen players rib each other, and you have, that's no fun. And if you're a front office guy, you're, you're a target anyway. So I, I thought, you know what, I, that's, that's okay. And I was relieved. I was like, good, I, I don't have to do this now because I really didn't feel comfortable doing it anyway. It was a good idea at the time, but in, in retrospect, it wasn't such a good idea. And so I, I went through spring training day after day, and then one morning I was shaving, and I was feeling a little guilty. I was like, at some point, Henry's going to ask me what happened to those Bibles when I go back to San Francisco, and I, I need to be able to tell him what happened. And so I just prayed. I said, God, can you help me give away one of these Bibles today? Because 
Then I can tell Henry I gave away some of the Bibles. Um, so I go to the ballpark, and it's raining, and so the, the players are scur- you know, scurrying in and out of the clubhouse. They're, they're kind of stuck because it's, it's raining. And, and as I'm, I'm in the clubhouse, I'm actually having some of the players fill out paperwork, and, and ke- one of our minor league pitchers walks by, and he says, Hey, Bobby, I, I was uh, throwing my bullpen yesterday, having trouble with location, but you know, it just gives me a description. He said, but after the bullpen, the catcher, Guillermo Rodriguez, asked me if I had any idea how he could get a Spanish Bible. And I, I, I just couldn't quite frankly believe it. I had just been shaving and asking God to help me give away one Bible, and, and he's making it very easy. Uh, so I, I run up to the office, and I grab a Bible, and then I thought, no, I, I've got to have more faith, and I, I grab six. And I come downstairs, I hand them the one, and I put the others right beside me on the table, unashamed of the gospel, sitting on that table. Players are coming by filling out paperwork, and, and I'm feeling like I've experienced God. At one point, I realize I need to get something from upstairs. I run, I run up, I come back down, and, and someone has started messing with me. The Bibles are gone. So I know there's a punchline. I know I'm going to begin getting that ribbing that everybody told me I was going to get and, or that major league player had told me I was going to get. So I, I'm looking for the Bibles, but I don't want anybody to know I'm looking for the Bibles. So I just, I just kind of peer around uh, corners, look under my my uh, desk there and it's in the middle of the clubhouse and I can't find them. As I look to my right around the corner there's a circle of six players with those Bibles open reading the gospel and sharing with one another. And it it really shocked me. I, I, I don't know what you can imagine seeing something at work that shocks you, I was stunned. I mean, they're in uniform, Bible's open, and I, there was no punchline. The, the reality was that God had put something on my heart, and all I needed to do was be obedient. And so I, I went upstairs and took the rest of the Bibles and went to every locker of every Latin player and, and Japanese player and gave them one of those Bibles. And it reminded me of how powerful God really is. And all I was doing that morning was shaving. I was just, I was just getting my morning shave in, and, and God had a plan for something much bigger. Um, so my, my journey is, is, is all that now. Is I just continue to look where, where, God, are you at work, and how can I respond to to live out a dedication of my career to you my life to you and I feel like a lot of that is is in my children uh just trying to help them see Christ uh I was I was first with a my son he was three years old and my wife was pregnant with my little girl and I began feeling guilty because I I really had not spent I hadn't, you know, I knew that dads are supposed to pray with their kids, and he's three, and I haven't started praying with him yet, and I, 
I'm starting to feel kind of guilty. And so I decide that one night I'm going to pray with them. And then the next night, I did it again, and then the next night. And before you knew it, he was my accountability partner because he was going to make sure that I came and prayed with him every night. And I, I, I procrastinated till the age, was, uh, age of three, but now he's the age of nine, and every night, even last night over the phone, he expects me to pray for him. Well, at the age of four, he looked at me one day, and he, you know, as he's laying, you know, on his uh, first, first of many nights in his top bunk, he had grown to the point that he could sleep in the top bunk, and he looked at me and said, how do we know God is real? Well, I wasn't expecting that question from my four-year-old, but at the same time, it's a good question. And so I, I told him that, that prayer is one of, the, one of the ways that God will reveal himself. And many times we don't pray, so we don't realize that God is trying to reveal himself, but because we haven't prayed, you know, we, don't, we miss out on that opportunity to see God, to see God. And so I said, as you pray, you know, God will, may choose to answer a prayer in a way that will reveal himself to you. That's how I explained it. He didn't seem to get it exactly, so I was kind of exasperated, but I believe in a very powerful God. I, I, I do believe God is powerful. I believe God can explain this better than me. So I said, Jonathan, pray for whatever you want, and maybe God will choose today to use that as a way to reveal himself to you. And, and, and the, the son that he is, and a good son that he is, prayed that the Giants would win the World Series. And I, my first thought was, my son will never be a Christian. <laughs> because, I mean, goodness, I mean, it's, it's 50 years they haven't won. I mean, how, how could he, you know, but... That was his prayer, and, and consistently over, you know, the next two years, all the way up until a game in Arlington, Texas in 2010, he prayed that we would win, and we did. And, and so I'm, now Anjali's almost two, and we're at the World Series, and we, uh, you know, we, we're in the clubhouse. We're actually in the manager's office, Bruce, Bruce Bochy's office, and, you know, the, the team's out on the field celebrating, and so I'm going to run outside and, and join him. But um, I look at my son, and I, I know he's, he's got to be beaming with excitement as well. And, and, and I look at him, and he is excited, but I say, Jonathan, can you believe it? You know, we just won the World Series. And he said to me, Dad, I'm hungry. And so I, I immediately thought he was kidding. Um, but he wasn't, and of course, Anjali, my little girl, chimed in as well. And so I, I, I go through the clubhouse and get some chicken and rice, which is part of their post-game meal for the players. And you know, they're spilling rice all over Bruce Bochy's floor, and 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 uh, and I'm I'm ready to go outside and celebrate because we we just won the World Series. And and I, I he finishes his chicken and rice, and 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 I said, okay, well, let's go. Let's go outside because they're celebrating. And, and they look, they, now my little girl says, can, can we get some ice cream? Well, the players have, 
have come inside to celebrate. We've had the trophy presentation. And now they're back outside because the clubhouse is too full and they're celebrating. And so I walked through the clubhouse with ankle deep in champagne um, on the floor. It's empty. And I go to that kitchen and I get some ice cream. And I sit there for 20 minutes and watch them eat ice cream. <laughs> and we just won, we just won the World Series. Uh, but, but, but as sweet as that was to win, uh, the celebration for me was, was different than everybody else. It was, it was fun to be with them and celebrate. But a couple years later, Anjali was four, and, and I asked her uh, the same question. You know, if you want God to reveal himself to you, one of the ways he'll do that is through prayer. And so I said, what would you pray for? What would you like to pray for tonight? Anything you want to pray for? And she prayed for a, a baby brother <laughs> and a baby sister. I was disappointed she didn't pray for a World Series, but um, <laughs> but now I, I, I turned to her at, at dinner a few months ago, and I said, Anjali, or Jonathan, you remember what you prayed for? And he said, yeah, I prayed for a World Series, and we've won two. And I, and, I, my, and I turned to Anjali, I said, do you remember what you prayed for? And she said, yeah, baby brother and a baby sister, has he answered us yet? And I said, yes. And her eyes got huge. And so now we're expecting her baby brother. I, I'm not sure if she's going to continue to pray for her baby sister, but I'm afraid she is, actually. But um, God taught me about prayer even in college, um, and the power of it. And, it, and, and there's, there's nothing greater than experiencing God. It's, it's, and I, I, wish, I wish I could, could tell you that I experience him every moment of every day, but I don't. Um, I experience him oftentimes through answered prayer, and um, I, was, I was not... Uh, I was, I was very committed in college to saving every penny. In fact, um, they knew me very, as very frugal in college, and, and at, at the end of every semester, I would, I would give God a little bit of what I had left over in my bank account. Uh, you know, I'd give to the church, and that was my, my tithe. Um, but that all changed for me when I went to, I went to uh, work in London one summer, and a friend of mine, she was working as a missionary in Germany, and, and it was right before my senior year. I'd already experienced the Red Sox internship, and now I was in London. And I met, we met in Paris and stayed at a friend's parents' house. But we went to the Eiffel Tower and uh, had just, just left. It was 11 o'clock at night in Paris, and we're sitting at the train station waiting for our train. And these guys walked by. It's empty train station until these five guys walk by, and, you know, I'm from North Carolina, so you kind of speak to everybody, and so I, you know, gave them the old nod and looked down and continued my conversation, and the next thing you know, one of them's standing in front of me with a knife, one's behind me, one's to my left, and a couple others to her right, and he, he wants me to give them my money. Well, my money was very precious to me, and I didn't have a lot of it. And I, having left London, I had brought every penny I had, you know, with me. And 
you know, you have those belts that you put your money in to protect you from for just this kind of occasion or pickpockets. And um, I'd had it, I had it in my pocket, and so I, I knew I was probably in bad bad shape. But I, I told him I didn't have any, and uh, their response to that was to begin slugging me on the head, and and the guy with the knife grabbed me in a chokehold, and they began searching me, and I could hear. My friend screaming as they searched through her purse. And the train, I, I feared that they would just throw me in front of the train. And, and I prayed for my life. And, and as I prayed, I, I, I began to feel the presence of God is all I can, all I can say. And when he let me go and he was, they were walking away, the guy who had the knife, was counting my money, you know, from here to there, and, and they were all walking away. I, I felt peaceful enough to walk up to the guy who had just mugged me and taken my money. And I put my hand on his shoulder, and I, I said, you don't want to do this. My thought was, on Judgment Day, it won't look good. Uh, that was my, my first thought. Uh, and he kind of looked at me funny, and, and, and then I explained to him, this is all I have. You're taking all I have. You, you know, you know, I don't know if he understood me, but that's what I told him in English. I didn't speak French, although my high school French teacher wouldn't be happy about that. But um, he, he responded by calling all the other guys back over, so I, I figured I had made a mistake, um, that I mis, misjudged the situation. And... He told them something, and they kind of looked at him funny, and then they nodded, and, and they gave her her money back. And then he turned and gave me my money back. And one by one, they said it was just a joke. We were just joking. And shook our hands and, and hugged, hugged us and, and walked away. And at that point, the train came. We jumped on the train, and we we felt like we needed to write this for Reader's Digest because who would believe it? But the truth that came to me from that was that everything I have, my life, which could have been easily thrown in front of a train in an instant or choked to death, and all my money is his. <laughs> and I'm just called to be a steward of it and use it to the best of my ability. But I knew the power of prayer from that moment on differently. That God is amazing in what he can do. Who gets mugged and the muggers apologize and give their money back? It doesn't happen. And so I knew how powerful God was. And so when I prayed from that day on, God, uh, I, I, I pray differently, and I also give differently. Um, I give God the first fruits and not the last fruits. Um, my pursuit of, of God in my workplace is ongoing, as I said, and um, a couple of examples of that as we you know, get towards the end of our time um, that I think are, again, rooted in prayer. Uh, I was attending a, a Padres Braves playoff game, and there was, a, there was an advertisement on the train 
or on the, in a newspaper on the train that, that talked about a, a day that if you, if you come out to the ballpark and listen to the Padres players share their testimony. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if we could have players share their testimony at the ballpark in San Francisco? Um, so I, I ripped out the, the ad and, and put it in my pocket. And sometime later, I was cleaning out my closet and I found this advertisement. And I thought, well, I don't want to forget about it. So I put it back in my closet. And sometime later, I found the advertisement again and determined to throw it out. I said, before I throw out this article, I'm going to pray over it. And I just said, God, if this is something you ever want to see happen in San Francisco, please bring it back to my memory. Let me know how I can help make it happen. And I threw it away. A year later, I'm at spring training at a Bible study, a player Bible study, and one of the players comes up to me. He's a pitcher, Russ Ortiz, and he says, Bobby... Sal Fasano is a catcher with the A's, and when the Giants play the A's this year in interleague play, uh, we both want to share our testimony after the game. Uh, I told him I would if he would, and he said he will, but we need, we need to figure out how to pull it off. Can you, can you make that happen? And I said, Russ, I, yeah, I mean, I've never heard of that before. I'd be, be glad to do it. Are you, you know, how do you picture it happening? Where have you seen this done? He said, well, I saw it done in San Diego. And as soon as he said that, I knew that God was answering that prayer to bring it back to memory. And so I, I went back to San Francisco trying to figure out how I can approach this subject. And I finally got up the nerve to ask one of our vice presidents how to make this happen. And he kind of rolled his eyes and he basically said, you're going to have to ask, you know, the the, the top brass. You're going to have to ask our executive VP. Well, I, I, I'd been with the Giants at that point, I don't know, seven or eight years, and I knew the, v, the executive VP, but I didn't have a relationship of any kind with them. And, you know, that night, I'd been with the Giants, I think, seven years. I'd never watched as much as one pitch with that executive vice president. But, you know, that night, he sat beside me for seven innings. I'd been with the Giants seven, I think in my eighth year. I'd never even watched a pitch with him. But the very day I find out I need to ask him permission to, to have players share their testimonies, he sits beside me for seven innings. I didn't have the nerve to ask him for seven innings. And as he gets up to leave, I just say, hey, Russ Ortiz wants to share his testimony after a game next, in, in a couple of weeks. Is that okay? And he's like, well, what's a testimony? Well, it's where you share about your faith, you know, your spiritual journey. So this is a religious thing. Yeah, it'll probably be a little bit religious. Um, he says, well, where have you seen this done? I said, I've seen it done in San Diego. He said, well, I'll think about it. So I go to Russ Ortiz after the game. I'm like, Russ, we're in. We're going to get this done. He said, Bobby, I'm good to do it, but Sal Fasano got released. So I'll do it by myself. But, you know, I'll, you know just let me know when. So we finally get a date. The executive VP gives me the okay. We get a date. The day before 
the executive VP comes to me and says, hey, we're giving out an award, or they're, they're, they're giving out an award tomorrow night to one of the players, and it's being given out by the Mormon church. And I really would feel uncomfortable with you having your, your day, your testimonies after that game. Can you switch it? And he proceeds to tell me, I just want you to know, a lot of people don't want this to happen, but, but I'm going to make sure it happens, and, and, and trust me. Now, he's, he's Jewish, you know, but he said, I'm going to help you. I said, I need tickets, I need announcements, and I need a firm date. He delivers all of that to me it's September now, uh, and I go to Russ, and I say, Russ, finally, you know, September 1st, you know, we're going to have the day, and you can share your testimony after the game. He said, who are we playing? I said, we're playing the Rockies. He said, Bobby, you're not going to believe this, but the Rockies just signed Sal Fasano. Sal Fasano and Russ Ortiz, September 1st, somehow, someway, in God's divine plan, share the first fellowship Christian day at the ballpark in San Francisco, and and I think, you know, six or seven hundred people stuck around, and, and now it's an annual event. Uh, we have we had over, over 2,500 people stay this last season, but, you know, this, this year will be our 14th annual. Uh, and just remember, all I did, I, I, I closed my eyes and prayed over a little advertisement. But that's all I did. I... I was done with it. I was not, it was not on my agenda. But God, in his divine plan, you know, made it happen through the heart of one of our players. And, and I, I tell Russ Ortiz today that as good of a pitcher as you were, you know, for me, that will always be your legacy, that you had the vision to start a Christian outreach day at the ballpark. Um, I guess my, my last story is, again, just a how how much God can do with whatever little we give Him, and our our pastor for years has encouraged us to to be the pastor in our workplace, the pastor in our neighborhood. Um, he'll be the pastor of our church, but we need to be the pastor where we live. And so, as he as he shared that, I I tried to be conscious of that, and it's hard, you know, in day to day life to think about it that way, but. I love basketball, and so I, I had decided to go up to this little park, this little gym near where O.J. Simpson grew up and play basketball one day. And I went to this gym, and I got there, and there's nothing but kids there. And so I, was, I wasn't going to get a get chance to play, so I decided to leave. But then I was reminded, you know, as I watched all these kids playing basketball, that you know, I'm to be the pastor of my neighborhood, and this gym is in my neighborhood. I should at the very least, pray for these kids. So I just began bouncing the basketball and praying for these kids and just asking God, how can I influence the lives of these kids? And I was thinking, the only way I can really connect with these kids is maybe through, you know, through baseball, because uh, I'm not going to play basketball with them. And I think, you know, I get, I get four tickets to every game, so maybe if I somehow can give away some of these tickets, I'll get a chance to connect with some of these kids and so I, I found an organization that would help me distribute, you know, 12 or 15 tickets um, at some point in the 2000 and, 
you know, seven season. And, and uh, it was exciting um, to have the, the thought that these kids would come out and I'd get a chance to meet these 15 or so kids. Well, right before the season started, I mean, this organization was overly excited about it. I mean, they, they, have, an, they, have, a, they have these trucks that they bring into the city and they open up the, the, the truck bed and they, they sing uh, Christian songs and teach Bible verses and just kids come to them and they do it all over the city. And so they were going to give away these tickets as prizes. And right before I left spring training, one of our players, Jason Schmidt, came to me and he said, Bobby, you know, I, when I signed my contract, I agreed to give away some tickets um, as a part of my contract, and I, I really wanted to go to an organization that, that is ministering to kids for Christ. Do you, do you have any suggestions? And I told him about several different ones, but he seemed to really gravitate to this, this one, which happened to be the same one I was interested in working with. And I said, well, how many tickets are you looking to donate? And he said, $25,000 worth of tickets. And so I contacted the organization. Of course, they were over the moon, and so over the, over the course of the next four years, they brought this truck to the ballpark. Um, that's my alarm. Uh, they, they, they brought this truck to the ballpark, opened up, opened up the truck um, before a Giants game, you know, four or five times during the season. And they were able to bring out, you know, over 1,000 kids to the ballpark. And over a four-year period, we reached over 4,000 kids with this truck and with these tickets and Jason would share his testimony, and, 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 and I gave God the, the loaves and fish that I had, which was 15 tickets, and he reached thousands of people with just this little idea that I had while I was bouncing a basketball. I, I just cannot imagine what God wants to do, you know, through your prayers or through your lives or through your gifts, I, I cannot imagine. I, I, I wish I could hear every one of the stories of what God has already, already done, and I wish I could hear all the stories of what he will do as you leave today. And um, my heart is to be an encouragement to you today. It's, my heart is to be an encouragement to our players. Um, I remember we were on the plane to Cincinnati. Uh, we were down uh, two games to nothing uh, heading into the 2012 playoffs, and my son, I had told him, I said, you can pick two series to see. Do you want to see the division series, the LCS, or the World Series? You can pick two. Of course, the World Series, yes. Well, I'll pick the LCS, you know, he'll, uh, meaning, meaning I'd let him travel with us to those cities wherever we go. So now we're down two games to nothing, and we're heading to Cincinnati, and he's like, I want to go. And I said, well, you pick the LCS and World Series. And he said, yeah, but we're down 2-0. If we lose in Cincinnati, this will be the worst postseason ever. So I'm, this is ringing in my head as we, as we, you know, he doesn't go. I have to leave him. I, 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 my wife and I go, and I'm on the team plane, and I'm thinking, we've got overwhelming odds here. And, and I was reading the book Courageous on the plane, and I, I proceeded to share it with some of our players. But it, it, it has this captivating point talking about how Gideon overcame odds, and it says, are you facing overwhelming odds? Does it seem you are outnumbered? Do you feel inferior or helpless or in, inconsequential? And it says, be strong, take courage. Let the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, empower you and embolden you. And may you come back from 2-0 deficits in your life 
and 3-1 deficits in your life, which we ultimately came back in the same way against St. Louis and then swept the Tigers. I don't know what odds you're facing. I'm sure that they're, they're stacked against you at times. But, but find yourself on your knees and, and depend upon God because it's such an amazing source of power that God gives us if we will lean on him. Uh, you guys are great to get up this early and, and listen to me talk. Um, I'm humbled. I'm thankful. I appreciate it, Patrick. Uh, but, but let me pray for you as, as you go. Father, we know you are mighty. We know you are powerful. And we know that you can use us despite ourselves. God, I pray for each one of these men as they uh, enter their, their work day, as they uh, go home to their families tonight. I pray that you will impress upon them of your love and your power and your desire that we give all that we have to you, God, in, in the way of our lives and our resources and our gifts. I pray, God, that you will uh, speak to them through your word today and through maybe something that I've shared that would encourage them to go about turning to you in prayer for things that they had never thought to pray for. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your abundance of provision and blessing. And may we walk with courage before you. In Jesus' name, amen.